I'm Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 22nd edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Today, our topic is how good lawyers survive bad times, financial management and marketing tips. Last time, it was a great pleasure to interview our friend and colleague, Ross Codner, who talked about using best value technology effectively in a down economy. Today, we're going to talk about a few of the financial management and marketing tips from the rest of the book. So today, no technology. Well, it's interesting to do the Lawyers and Technology podcast, not focusing on technology, but I think some other great tips for this tough economic time are a great service for our audience. So my first tip is that in difficult economic times, careful screening of potential clients becomes an even more critical issue. As a good law office management perspective, it's always a good idea to carefully screen your clients. There are sometimes some matters or clients you just shouldn't represent, and we've all heard of the warning signs of problem clients, the ones who come to you as the third or fourth lawyer on a matter, the ones who tell you, oh, money is no object, uh, it's the principle of the thing, which is usually true until they receive their first bill, ones that come unprepared with none of the paperwork that they need to adequately discuss their matter with you. There's lots of warning signs, but in particular today, I want to remind everybody that the financial health of the client and their ability to pay is something that is even more important to examine today. Uh, many clients have their own economic problems as a result of what's going on. And so they're going to have lots of reasons why they shouldn't pay an adequate retainer or why a contingency might be needed or any number of things. And so I just want to make sure that in tough times, when lawyers are really perhaps having slow times and wanting more business, that you don't make the error of taking clients or matters that you shouldn't take, particularly matters maybe outside of your expertise, because times are a little tough. So I would repeat the golden advice that an older lawyer told me as I was beginning law practice about retainers. He said, always get the money up front, son. <laughs> Good advice. I'll tell you, Jim, I just recently purchased one of those jars. It's got a big cork in the top, and it says, Ashes of Problem Clients. And I'm seriously thinking about putting it to use. <laughs> So your advice is very well taken. I'm going to head over to marketing uh, and suggest that now might be the time to get up to speed with social networking. I'm not going to go through all the choices, but the top three today, and it, and it just amazes me that some lawyers still know nothing about any of these. The top choices are now Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Twitter is a microblog in which you post messages up to 140 characters, and people can choose to follow you or you can choose to follow them, meaning that they, they can see your posts or you can see theirs. Now, how is a lawyer going to use Twitter? Generally, a lawyer will post on his or her area of expertise, giving perhaps links to news or articles of interest in a specific area. And you want to follow others who do the same thing because they're going to give you material and you can retweet them. And you don't want to follow those who tell you what they had for lunch. You need to be selective about who you follow or you're just plain going to get overwhelmed. And that's the problem with all of social networking. It can just be something that's a huge time suck. But it is free. And so as marketing goes, it's not costing you money. Now, Twitter is not for everybody. There's some who get obsessed with it and many more who give it up 
because it takes away time from other things they could be do doing, especially billable things. But over time, you really can establish yourself as an expert. It has been useful to me. I've gotten clients from it. I've gotten speaking engagements from it. I've even had offers by other experts to share their written materials or to help me with mine, which is way cool if you happen to be a speaker. LinkedIn and Facebook are both sites where you can invite friends to be your friend, which means they can see the things you post on your page. And when you've been using these sites for a while, rest assured that after you've got hundreds of friends, you forget who's on your friend list, and that can be dangerous. So you really want to be very careful about what you post and certainly never have any alcoholic substance before you post. But these tools are a very nice way to keep up with and develop professional contacts. Now, if you're going to have both personal friends as well as professional contacts, you might consider having two separate pages, one for each, especially if you have younger friends who tend to post photos of themselves totally schnockered at some party. And that can be an issue, and you certainly don't want that on your page. So you do want to share useful content and perhaps give people a reason to call you or to visit your website. But for heaven's sakes, be very careful about your privacy settings and what you post. Remember that you cannot control what your friends do with what you post. They could repost it anywhere. Just to give you a single story of a social networking horror, there was a North Carolina judge who was reprimanded for disregarding the standards of judicial conduct in June for friending a lawyer in a pending custody and support case, posting and reading messages about the litigation, and even accessing the website of the opposing party. Not good. And whatever you do on any of these sites, do not shill for your services. If you come off like a used car salesman, no one will follow you on Twitter or want to be your friend anywhere, online or off. Sharon, that's a great point about social networking websites, but I'd like to make the counterpoint that good old-fashioned networking is still a, a great idea too, even in a bad economy. Sometimes when things are a little rough, we tend to retreat back within our shell. But the better idea is to get out there among other lawyers to visit with those sources of past referrals and past clients and take a few people out to lunch and drop a few notes to people and make a few phone calls to reactivate your real life network while, of course, you're following the great advice to spend more time with online social networking. There's still a lot of business out there, and it may be that some people don't know that you're really hungry for some new business unless you tell them. So don't be shy about getting up to speed with real-life networking in addition to social networking. Jim, I don't think anybody could ever call you shy. <laughs> Sadly, you may have to, at the end of the day, you may have to take a hard look at your staff and, and even the attorneys. Do you really need everyone? Is more going out the door than it's coming in? You can't let that go on too long or you're really going to end up in the proverbial creek. If you've got to make a cut, and you might have to, do it and do it as humanely as you possibly can. Do not email a pink slip, and oh yes, law firms have done that. Don't lie to attorneys and staff. Be candid, be open about the economic situation, and, and be as humane as possible. One large firm, which owed the bank millions, went after the nickel and dimes that they paid their folks who were studying for the bar exam. And you can imagine the horrible PR they got. And there was more horrible PR for a law firm partner who loudly announced on his cell phone on the train all of the names of those who were to be cut. Just plain dumb. Some lawyers have moved to using the services of a virtual assistant like Ruby Receptionist and Legal Typist. And we hear a lot from Solo Says, the ABA's listserv, 
that has more than 4,000 members. We hear many people say that they've been very happy with those services. I haven't used them myself, but they get a they get a good report. And we'll make sure to put those URLs in the show notes for you. And for heaven's sakes, do consider alternatives. Maybe it's possible for your staff to take a 20% pay cut and, and have every Friday off. This has been a very common solution uh, in a number of law firms. Sometimes you only find the partners, which is kind of humorous, in the office on Friday. Everybody else is, is out. Collection of the fees earned from the work you've done is another important topic. With money getting tight and everybody feeling the economic pinch, it's important that you set up systems to make sure that you can collect for the money you bill. In our book, we've included some form letters to send off to slow pay or no pay clients, but the main point is to review carefully your accounts receivable. Every lawyer should have with them or available either on paper or on the network a report of who's behind in paying their bills. When a client contacts you about the representation, it's then easy to mention that you notice their bill from last month hadn't been paid and ask if there's a problem. But staying on top of your receivables is critical in a recessionary environment. And I really like, Jim put together for the book, he put together a series of 30, 60, 90-day letters and a process. All of that was so useful, Jim. That was, that was just, I thought, one of the best parts of the book. And I want to move forward to say that one of our financial tips is that everything is negotiable. And if that sounds like William Shatner on a Priceline ad, well, I think he had the right idea at the right time. I cannot believe everything that has become negotiable these days, including the services of physicians, which I read online recently. But from a lawyer's point of view, you might talk to your bank for a more favorable interest rate or to your credit card companies for the same thing. Talk to your internet hosting services, everybody you advertise with. The special deals I've been able to get in newspaper advertising have been as low as I've ever seen. You can talk to your landlord, maybe extending your lease but at a much lower rate. It's just amazing how people who are selling anything, whether it's product or services, are willing to negotiate. I've successfully negotiated with almost everyone I pay money to in the last year. And if my negotiations did not succeed, and they didn't always, then I checked out competitors and sometimes I moved. So I estimate that I've saved about 15% overall on my expenses by adopting the William Shatner approach, which is not a bad return on my time. How many times do you pay for cash or hand write out a check today as opposed to handing over the plastic? Accepting credit cards and debit cards is an accepted part of today's business environment. And yet many law firms do not still have an account set up to easily accept plastic. It is somewhat counterintuitive to think about accepting credit cards when other financial loans and whatever are becoming problematic. But it is a great response when a client asks, do you have payment terms to say, yes, we accept credit cards. Uh, rather than billing the client monthly and having the client pay small monthly fees or payments, if you can get the client to hand over their credit card, it is essentially the same thing as outsourcing your financing. Whether they can pay or not in the future then becomes the bank or credit card issuer's problem and not your problem. So for all the law firms out there, if you're not accepting credit cards, give strong consideration to setting that up immediately. 
an excellent point in going along the financial line there. As Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. And this is especially true where money is concerned. It shocks most lawyers, but the number one person who steals from them is their bookkeeper. Just Google law firm embezzlement bookkeeper and you'll be shocked at the number of stories you'll read. Lawyers should be reconciling their bank accounts, most especially their trust accounts, every month. No one individual, even somebody who's been with you for years, should have their work go unchecked. I actually review the credit card reconciliations each month as well as all bank account reconciliations and no one but me can get to our accounts online. I love my office manager and I do trust her, but I verify her work all the same and she's good enough to take no offense at that, understanding why I do it. In bad times, people are more tempted than ever. One bookkeeper in, in uh, New York stole, get this, more than 3.4 million from his brother's law firm, including trust account. He is now a guest of the state for up to seven and a half years. Do you think those two are still on speaking terms? While we're talking about the law firm finances, it's also important to look at your personal budget as well. If you don't spend as much money, then you don't have to take home as much money. And in these recessionary times, that may be something to examine as well. So even though as a professional established lawyer in your community, you may not want to consider things like brown bagging lunch, or taking a more limited family vacation, or keeping the car for a year longer than you normally do, it's probably good to think about how you spend your money and to see if you can cut back a little bit. That way, if your income from the firm drops, you have a little cushion there. But more importantly, we Americans tend to have a terrible rate of savings. And few of us, uh, statistically speaking, have the requisite uh, several months of cash in a savings account that we could e easily access in the event of a disaster. So trying to focus a little bit more on spending less in your personal life is also a good tool to survive tough financial times. It sure is, Jim. And, and you also want to be aware of the scams that are now targeting lawyers. There's a spreading wave of them in both the United States and Canada. There are all kinds of variations, but it, it generally goes something like this. You get an email or a phone call, and someone who seems very legitimate needs your help in a hurry. And that hurry is your very first clue that something may be wrong. Here's one example of a kind of scam. They say they need you to facilitate a transaction, and they're in China. They have a working phone number, which you check out doing your due diligence, and you also even check out a website, which looks real and professional. They sound reasonable. What they want to do is send you a bank certified check and they want to have you deal with a company in America which also seems to have a valid website and a phone number you can call to verify the transaction. They're willing to pay you quite a high fee for your services and that itself is another indicator of trouble. So now you get the bank certified check and you deposit it. It shows up in your trust account maybe after a day or two and now, as per your agreement with the client, you disperse monies to the American company and of course you disperse your, your own fees to yourself. But what most lawyers don't seem to know is that banks have whatever it is, seven days or up to two weeks to discover that the check is fraudulent. And then you're on the hook for the monies you sent to the supposed American company, which of course is part of the scheme and the monies are long gone, assuming there was enough money in your trust account to cover that. Then you get to talk to your state disciplinary board not a fun outcome. So the moral, I guess, is to beware of anyone who's in a hurry and offers a fee that seems overly generous. 
the, the old chestnut is probably still valid. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. So as they used to say on uh, Hill Street Blues, let's be careful out there. It's really sort of amazing the way these lawyer scams have proliferated in recent times. Another recessionary fighting tactic is to contemplate alternative billing. As Sharon knows, uh, with my uh, fellow Oklahoma City attorney, Mark Robertson, I've written books, Winning Alternatives to the Billable Hour, also for sale by the ABA Law Practice Management Section. It's a topic of great interest to me. But particularly when clients uh, in a business setting are very concerned about budgeting and finance, the ability to give them a fee that is predictable rather than an open-ended hourly fee may mean that you're the one that gets the business as opposed to the other attorneys that represent them. Alternative billing doesn't have to be considered on a flat fee basis for a project because I can hear the lawyers out there now thinking to themselves, but I don't know how much it's going to cost because I don't know what's going to happen. So one may set up a plan for a menu of options, but setting up different dollar amounts for each particular task or contingency or thing that happens while the matter is being negotiated or litigated or otherwise pursued is a great strategy to convince the clients that you understand what they're going through as well and to give them that predictability that we all like to have for all of our expenses. That's really interesting, Jim, and I've seen a lot of firms adopt success fees with billing, too, and apparently this passes muster ethically, so that's interesting. And I also saw a recent study where they said that 25% of the National Law Journal 250 are actually using alternative billing now, which is a, a far cry from the old days. Uh, our last tip, I think, is, is simply this. Get yourself unwired. We are killing ourselves with email and text messages on our cell phones. I know folks who sleep with their smartphones on their nightstands and folks who text while driving. I've seen 18-wheelers weaving down I-95 and seen the drivers texting as I drove past them. It is absolutely insane. Unless there's an emergency situation that you really need to follow, put the smartphone away when you get home. You don't need to look at it every hour on vacation, and you don't need to look at it when you're having dinner with your spouse. You're setting yourself up for an early divorce if you can't focus on dinner with your spouse. Set client expectations in your retainer. Give yourself 24 hours to respond. Do whatever it takes to unwire yourself. Hang out the gone fishing sign and then, by golly, just go fishing. And let nature be, as Thoreau once put it, the tonic for your soul. Let's do that right after this podcast. And for our listeners, if you're interested in buying our book, just Google ABA Web Store and search for the book, How Good Lawyers Survive Bad Times. And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy.